to the Redemption Podcast. We hope you're blessed by today's message. I would normally ask you to stand to read the text, but it's been a long time since you guys have been in church, and I'm not sure you have the stamina to stand through these 20 verses that I'm about to read because I know you're tired. It's 9.30. So here's what we're going to do. Bow your heads because I'm going to talk a little bit through this scripture reading anyway. But just bow your heads. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to be together again. We know that when we come together and begin to worship you, your external presence is amplified. Yes, we can watch from home. We can watch online. But you said that when we come together and begin to praise you, that your presence would be felt in a stronger way. So thank you for this privilege to be able to assemble together and receive your word together. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Anybody know the story of Lazarus? Four of you? It's early. I hope you had your coffee this morning because I need to talk to you. Jesus shows up after Lazarus has been dead for four days. And I want to start reading at John 11, 23. Jesus has just entered the city and Martha goes out to meet him. Because that's the kind of person Martha was. She wants to know where Jesus had been. And Jesus sees Martha and says unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. Keep in mind, he's been dead four days. And Martha said unto him, I know, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said unto her, You don't get it. I am the resurrection. I am the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believeth thou this? She saith unto him, Yeah, Lord, I believe. I believe thou art the Christ. I believe you're the Son of God which should come into the world. And when she said... And when she had so said, she went her way and called Mary, her sister, secretly, saying, The Master's come and calleth for thee. And as soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came unto him. Now Jesus was not yet coming to the town, but was in that place where Martha met him. The Jews which were with her in the house and comforted her. When they saw Mary, that she rose up hastily and went out, followed her, saying, She goeth unto the grave to weep there. Then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. How many of you have ever said that to the Lord? You could have did something about this. You could have stopped it. You didn't have to allow it to happen. If you'd have been here, my brother had not died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, he groaned in his spirit and was troubled and said, Where have you laid him? They said unto him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. 
Now, I ain't got time to really dive into why Jesus wept, but I think that he wept because he knew that he was about to bring Lazarus back. And if you're a believer and you die, it's better off for you to stay dead than for you to come back to this world of sorrow and hardship and struggle and pain. So I believe the reason Jesus wept is because he knew that he was about to bring Lazarus back to all of this. If you have a loved one who believed in Jesus and they have passed away, know that they are far better off. Far better off. Then said the Jews, Behold how he loved him. And some of them said, Could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should not have died? Jesus therefore again groaning in himself cometh to the grave. It was a cave and a stone lay upon it. Jesus said, Take you away the stone. Martha, his sister, said unto him, Lord, by now, by this time, he stinks. The body stinks. Because he's been dead for four days. Jesus saith unto her, Said I not unto thee, that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God. Anybody want to see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead laid. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. And I knew that thou hearest me always, but because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Let's pray. Lord, I ask that you help me to minister this message. Tailor it, make it specific and intimate to every individual under the sound of my voice. Empower, enable, and strengthen me to deliver this message as you have delivered it to me. Lord, I take no ownership or authorship or credit because I know that every good and perfect gift comes from above. Lord, we give you all the honor, all the glory, all the acknowledgement for what's about to happen. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Give the Lord some praise. So I'm continuing the sermon series, If You Can, and today's message is entitled, I'm Possible. How many of you want to see God do the impossible in your life? I mean, that's an easy question, right? Yeah, if there's a list somewhere for the people that God's going to do the impossible in their life, yeah, write my name down. I'd like to see a few mountains move. I'd like to see some miracles, some extraordinary things happen in my life. How many of you believe that God's going to do the impossible in your life? Do you ever struggle with that? You ever struggle trying to convince yourself that God can heal fourth stage cancer? You ever struggle trying to convince yourself that mountains can move? You ever struggle trying to convince yourself that God's going to bless you financially or that God's going to repair your marriage. If you do, you're not alone. I struggle with that as well. I do. And I don't think we talk about that enough in church. Everybody's like, I'm full of faith all the time. I believe all the time. Do you really though? Or are you trying to convince yourself? Are you trying to silence that voice in the back of your head? that says it's not going to work out and it's not going to happen. So what's the key 
to believe in God for the impossible. The key is in the question itself. Believing in God. The key is not trying to convince yourself that a specific circumstance can come to pass. The key is believing in God. David Clark said, faith derives its value from the, from, not from the intensity of the believer, but from the genuineness of the one he or she believes in. True faith is faith in the right object. Faith in the wrong place is worthless or even worse. What that means is your faith is only as strong as who you've placed it in. So to build up your faith is not about believing more intensely, but knowing who you believe in in a greater way. Building up your faith is not about believing something can happen. It's not about believing for what. It's about knowing who you believe in. Let me prove it to you. Mark chapter 6 verses 1 through 5 says this. Jesus left that part of the country and returned with his disciples to Nazareth, his hometown. Jesus took his homeboys home. That's corny, ain't it? I'm not good at jokes sometimes. The next Sabbath, he began teaching in the synagogue and many who heard him were amazed. They were amazed at his teaching, his sermon, his message. That's good. They asked, where did he get all this wisdom and the power to perform such miracles? This has started off fantastic. They acknowledged his miracles and they were amazed by his message. But then in verse 3, it turned bad. Then they scoffed. They were offended. He's just a carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, Simon. His sisters live right here among us. They were deeply offended and refused to believe. It's not that they didn't believe in miracles. It's that they didn't believe Jesus was the Messiah. They didn't believe in Jesus. And because of this, Verse 5 says, because of their unbelief, their unbelief in Jesus, he couldn't do any miracles. Jesus, the all-powerful one, couldn't do any miracles because this group of people didn't believe in him. So the key to overcoming our unbelief and seeing God do the impossible in our life is simply to know Him in a greater way, a more intimate way, a more passionate way. The key to seeing God do the impossible is knowing Him because knowing God changes what's possible. Do you believe that? Knowing God changes what's possible. The key to seeing the impossible is knowing God's person because knowing God's person changes what's possible. To help you with this, I want to give you three attributes. Three attributes of God that make the impossible possible. I'm sure that you've heard these before, but hopefully I can share them in a new light. The first attribute of God that makes the impossible possible is God is omniscient, all-knowing. Sometimes what we define as impossible is just something that we lack the knowledge about how to do. Sometimes what we define as impossible 
is just something that we lack the knowledge about how we could do it or how it could happen. But you know, we're not the only one to do that. In the early 19th century, the Methodist church was having an annual convention. And one man stood up and said that he believed one day men would fly from place to place rather than traveling on horseback. Upon hearing this, a man named Bishop Wright stood up and protested. He said, heresy. He said, flight is reserved for angels. And if God intended men to fly, he would have given us wings. And then he angrily grabbed his two sons together, Orville and Wilbur, and left the convention. Orville and Wilbur are the Wright brothers, the two men that invented air travel. So Bishop Wright, the Wright brothers' dad, he labeled air travel as impossible because he didn't understand how it could happen. But air travel was never really impossible. It was just a lack of knowledge about how to do it. Let me give you another example. Mark eleven twenty three. 23, Jesus is speaking to the disciples and he says, For verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Mountain moving was a Jewish phrase that referred to the impossible. The Jews thought that mountains were rooted underneath the earth's foundation so that you would literally have to uproot the entire earth to move a mountain. In our generation, with the use of heavy machinery, mountains are moved all the time. Mountain moving was never impossible. There was just a lack of knowledge about how to do it. What I want you to understand is that if knowledge makes the impossible possible, then the impossible was never impossible to begin with, just unknown. Because God never lacks in knowledge, nothing is impossible for Him. We will always be limited in our knowledge. So if we want to see the impossible come to pass in our life, we have to take the advice of Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all our heart and lean not unto our own understanding. Trust in the Lord. You're trusting in the person of the Lord, not your perception of the situation. You may not understand how, but don't let your understanding be the determining factor of what's possible in your life. You may not understand how, but you can overcome how with who? Who being the omniscient God that you serve. I don't understand how, but I know who. So God is omniscient. Number two, God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. Sometimes what we label as impossible is something that we don't have the power to change or bring to pass. But God never lacks in power. So there is no law of nature, logic, thermodynamics, time that he can't suspend in order to bring his will to pass in your life. In an effort to discredit the Bible, sometimes atheists and agnostics will say that the Bible is invalid because it's, it's not scientifically possible for a man to be swallowed by a fish and live for three days. And they're right. It's not. They have a point, Revis. It's not possible scientifically. 
It's also not scientifically impossible for a man to walk on water. It's also not scientifically possible for the dead to live again. But that doesn't make the Bible invalid. It makes God God. That he can suspend the laws of nature and time and, and thermodynamics in order to bring his will to pass in your life. Do you know the powerful God that you serve? Just to encourage you with this, I want to give you a short list of impossible feats and extraordinary miracles that God performed in the Bible. I did my best to mention some that you may not remember. There was a time when God blinded a group of sexual predators. They didn't need to have their names on the internet. They all just went blind at the same time. Just boom, they're blind. There was a time when God turned a lady into a salt shaker. She didn't shake it like a salt shaker. Come on, the religious people, they can't handle that. Mom didn't let me listen to that song either. God turned an entire river of water into blood. God caused a donkey to talk. Just like the movie Shrek. I bet that donkey sounded like Eddie Murphy too. God turned back time approximately 45 minutes. You could have rewatched your favorite TV show even before DVR. God established the first DoorDash company using ravens to deliver the food. God unpoisoned poison soup. Somebody accidentally poisoned the soup and God told the man of God what to do to unpoison it. So the man of God throws some leaves in there and stirs it up and says it's not poisoned anymore. Can you imagine how much faith you'd have had to have to eat that soup? <laughs> I knew it was poison and then pastor threw an acorn or something in there and says it's not poison. I don't know if I trust pastor enough to eat that soup. Jesus paid off the IRS using a goldfish. Was it really the IRS? It was a Roman government and it wasn't really a goldfish. It was a fish with gold in its mouth, but you get the point. A goldfish, that's pretty smart. I wish Craig Harden was here. He would, he would enjoy that pun. Listen. Jesus raised a dead man after the body had been embalmed, after the funeral had happened, after the graveside service had happened, after everybody had shared their condolences and went home. He raised the dead. But you want to know the most impossible feat, the most extraordinary miracle that God or Jesus has ever performed? It was when they collaborated together to save each and every one of us. What I want you to understand from this list is that you may not have the power to change your situation. You may not have the power to bring things to pass, but the God you serve definitely does. So don't label your circumstance, your situation, your condition as impossible because you don't have the power to change it. Trust in the all-powerful God that you serve. Number three, God is omnipresent, all present. Sometimes we label things as impossible because they're overwhelming to us. And those things may actually be impossible if we were by ourselves, but we're not. Let me give you an illustration. I have two five-year-olds named Canyon and Kinley, <laughs> and they are the main reason I want this quarantine to end. 
because we have been stuck in close proximity to our own children. And you know that that is torture. So they know, my two twins, they know they're not supposed to get anywhere within the hemisphere of the road that runs in front of our house. But one day, Carrie decided to take them for a walk. And as they approached the road, Kenyon and Kinley got nervous. They started freaking out because they knew they weren't supposed to go close to the road. They weren't supposed to go near the road. But what they didn't understand is that what is dangerous and possibly deadly for them to do alone is safe and harmless for them to do as long as Carrie's with them. Did you know the same is true about your relationship with the Lord? You might not make it if you were by yourself. You might not overcome if you were by yourself. You might not survive if you were by yourself. You might not be victorious if you were by yourself, but you're not by yourself. So don't label something as impossible because you're intimidated or overwhelmed by it. The God who is with you is going to enable you to do what you could not have done alone. Now I want to tie all that into the story of Lazarus. Lazarus was a believer. He got sick. His sisters Mary and Martha sent for Jesus. They asked Jesus to come and heal Lazarus. But for reasons that he would not reveal until later on, Jesus didn't come. Have you ever prayed and Jesus didn't show up? Come on, be honest. You did. You got mad at him because he didn't show up. You know he was right there in the next town and could have came and he didn't. So Lazarus goes from bad to worse to dead. He's been dead for four days. And then he shows up. And I want us to eavesdrop on the conversation Jesus and Martha has. Jesus shows up and in John 11, 23 through 27, Jesus says to Martha, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know. I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Martha believed that her brother would rise, just not right now. She struggled to believe that what she hoped for in the future could come to pass in the present. And the reason she struggled is because she wasn't seeing Jesus correctly. So Jesus doesn't try to convince her that the circumstance can change. He just corrects her misguided view of who he is. Jesus said, you don't get it. I am the resurrection. The resurrection is not an event. It's not a date in time. It's a person. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, even though they die, they will live. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Pay close attention to what Martha says. Jesus said, do you believe that? Do you believe that he that's dead can live again? Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Jesus, Martha said, she's so smart. Martha said, yeah, Lord. I believe. I believe that you're the Messiah, the Son of God. Notice, she did not say she believed that a four-day-old corpse could live again. I don't know that I'm there yet, Lord, but I'll tell you what I do believe. I believe in you. I believe in what I want you to notice is that this extraordinary miracle, this impossible feat was not based on whether Martha believed that a four-day-old corpse could live again. It was based on her belief in who Jesus is. Jesus asked Martha to roll back the stone and Martha says, let's not do that. The body has decayed and by now the smell will be unbearable. Martha didn't believe that Lazarus could rise again. 
There was nothing in that conversation that would suggest Martha believed that Lazarus could rise again. But she did believe in Jesus. And guess what? That was enough. That was enough. She didn't understand how things could change. But she did believe in Jesus. How many of you would say, I believe? I think that most of us in one capacity or another to one degree or another would be able to say, I believe. But did you know that there are different levels of belief? For example, Martha believed that Lazarus would rise again, but she struggled to believe that what she hoped for in the future could come to pass in the present. The children of Israel had enough belief to be delivered from Egypt, but that first generation didn't have enough belief to enter the promised land. There are levels of belief. You can believe in one capacity without believing in another capacity. And it is the altitude of our belief that determines the magnitude of what we receive. We learned that from the widow in 2 Kings chapter 4. It was the altitude of her belief in collecting empty vessels that determined the magnitude of her miracle. The reason that I'm preaching this sermon is because I think that God is challenging us to believe on a greater level to set our sights higher, to reach further. I believe that the Lord is challenging us to believe that nothing is off the table, that nothing is out of the equation, that nothing is too far, that nothing is too big, that nothing is too hard, that nothing is too much. I believe that in this season, God is challenging us to believe that all things are possible. So what is it in your life right now that seems impossible? What is it that seems the furthest away? What is it that seems the most out of reach? What is it that seems the most unlikely? What is it that seems the most improbable? What is it that you've buried or you're about to bury? Because after everything that's happened, you don't think it'll ever be a part of your life. What is it that you're about to walk away from? What is it that you're about to rinse your hands of? What is it that you're about to throw in the towel on? What is it that you're about to put out of your mind and move on? What is it that you're about to stop praying for? What is it that you're about to stop believing for? What is it that you are about to just accept it for what it is in this present moment what have you buried because after everything that happened after every setback after every broken heart after every tear you shed after everything that you have experienced after everything you've tolerated after everything you've put up with you don't think you'll ever have it. You don't think it'll ever happen. You don't think it'll ever be restored. You don't think it'll ever come to pass. You don't think you'll ever accomplish it. You don't think you'll ever achieve it. You don't think you'll ever attain it. What if I told you that Jesus has now stepped into the cemetery of your circumstance and is asking you to roll back the stone? 
by roll back the stone, I mean he's asking you not to walk away just yet. Not to turn loose just yet. Not to give up on it just yet. He's asking you to pray one more prayer. To tarry just a little longer. To give him another opportunity to change your circumstance or your condition. What if I told you that Jesus has stepped into the cemetery of your circumstance and he's asking you to roll back the stone? Now that's uncomfortable to do. It's uncomfortable to do because of the stench of unfulfilled expectations and past disappointments. It's uncomfortable to do because of the smell of every prayer you prayed and nothing happened. It's uncomfortable to do because of the aroma of what didn't work out and what didn't come together and what didn't manifest. But sometimes you got to give God access to the grave in order to see his glory. This is why Jesus asked, where have you laid him? I already told you Jesus is all-knowing. He knew the exact location of, of Lazarus' body. And yet he asked, where have you laid him? You know what Jesus was really saying? Take me to the place where you gave up. Take me to the place where you said it was over. Take me to the place where your hope was extinguished. Take me to the place where your prayers went silent. Take me to the place where you said it was too painful to hang on. Take me to the place where you said it will never change. It'll never improve. It'll never be any different. Take me to that place. And what you've got to hear today, what you've got to receive today is God is saying, give me access. Give me access to what you think is dead and over. Give me access to what you think is through. Give me access to what you think cannot be any different. And I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's a marriage. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's an idea. Maybe it's a vision. Maybe it's a dream. Maybe it's a goal. Maybe it's a ministry. But God is saying, give me access to what you think can never be restored, can never happen. And you may not understand how. You may not understand how your marriage can be repaired, how your babies can come home. You may not understand how you can get the job, how it can work out, how it can come together, how you can lead a ministry. You may not understand how it can progress and how it can move forward and how it can improve. You may feel powerless. You may not have the power to change it or make it happen or work it out or bring it to pass or make it different, but you serve an all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present God. It's not about how it's about who it's not about you it's about him see what you got to understand is that a fresh revelation of God's person always redefines what's possible in your life I'm so glad you came to church today because a fresh revelation of God's person changes what's possible in your life this is why when Martha said, I know Lazarus will rise again in the resurrection at the last day, Jesus said, you don't get it. 
I am the resurrection and the life. And if you can see me in a different light, it will change how you view that hopeless situation. Knowing God's person changes what's possible. And when I say knowing God's person, I'm not talking about coming to church a couple times a week. I'm not talking about sporadically reading six verses to sear your conscience. I'm not talking about praying when things get hard and difficult. I'm talking about fully investing in your relationship with the Lord. I'm talking about knowing what He's done, what He's accomplished, what He's achieved, knowing what He's capable of, knowing His power, His might, His glory, knowing His compassion, His love, His sympathy. Knowing God's person changes what's possible. Jesus is asking you to roll back the stone, to leave the door open, to entertain the possibility that even now your situation, your circumstance can change and improve. He's asking you to roll back the stone, not because you believe that a four-day-old corpse could live again, but because you believe in who he is. Jesus is asking you to try again, to believe again, to risk being let down again, to risk having your heart broken again, to risk crying yourself to sleep again. Not because you've convinced yourself that this time will be any different than the last time, but because you believe in who He is. Wait a minute, Pastor. Wait a minute. I prayed when this started. When this all began, I prayed. I did everything right. I called out to Jesus. I was up here in the altar. I took the right steps and nothing happened. Nothing changed. My situation went from bad to worse. I don't know what the Lord is doing, but He wasn't present in my situation. He didn't show up in my life. There was no miracle performed. I watched as that which I loved withered away and died. And now I found the strength to stand up and read the obituary over my marriage, over my situation, over my circumstance, over my condition. And you want to rise up and tell me to stop mid-sentence because even now there's a possibility that this could be different? I'm not sure I can. I'm not sure I can because I just come to grips with this. I just come to terms that it's over and you want me to stop and wait, wait on the Lord. I waited on him and it still died. I waited on him and it didn't work out. I waited on him and it didn't come together and you want me to go through that again? That's exactly what I'm saying. That's exactly what I'm saying. I hope you can roll back the stone. Because if you can, you're about to see the impossible happen. You're about to see the improbable happen. You're about to see the unlikely happen. You're about to see the unexplainable happen. God's about to show you and everybody around you that He is God and He does not have to bend to any law of nature or logic or time. Come on. Come on. This is a pivotal moment. Tell your neighbor, this is a pivotal moment. This is a pivotal moment. 
this, this is a pivotal moment because if you can roll back the stone, if you can just leave the door open, you ain't, got, you ain't got to have an abundance of faith. You just got to have enough faith to leave the door open. That, that you just got to have enough faith to entertain the possibility that in spite of everything that's happened, in spite of the odds, the statistics, in spite of the mountain in front of you, in spite of what the enemy has said, in spite of what other people have said, you just got to leave the door open to the possibility that right now God can step in and do the impossible. This is a pivotal moment because if you can roll back the stone, it's not just your marriage that's going to change. It's not just your family that's going to change. It's not just your ministry that's going to change. It's not just your condition that's going to change. It's not just your finances that are going to change. It's not just your career that's going to change. It's not just your hope that's going to be resurrected. It's not just your vision that's going to be revived. It's not just your dream that's going to be resuscitated. It's not just your life that's going to change. It's the lives of those watching. The lives of those that you're connected to. Pull up John 11, 45. Look at this with me. This is awesome. Many of the people who were with Mary, many of the people that had watched Lazarus become ill, that had watched Lazarus deteriorate, that had watched Lazarus die, many of the people who showed up to help Mary and Martha grieve, many of the people who showed up to help them accept the situation for what it was, many of the people who were with Mary believed in notice that it doesn't say they believed in miracles it doesn't say they believed in supernatural events it doesn't say that they believed in unexplainable phenomenon it says they believed in Jesus could it be that Jesus had to let Lazarus die in order to resurrect faith in the hearts of those that he was connected to? Could it be that God had to let his only begotten son die in order to resurrect faith in the hearts of each and every believer? Many of the people who were with Mary believed in Jesus after they saw this happen. What's that mean for me, Pastor? It means that after Jesus does what he's about to do in your life, many of the people that you're connected to, your family, your friends, your co-workers, your acquaintances, your friends on Facebook, your followers on Twitter, many of the people that are watching what's happening in your life right now, your spectators, many of those people are going to believe in Jesus because of what he does in your life. This is about more than just you. After Jesus does what he's about to do, you're going to be a source of courage, a source of hope, a source of inspiration. You're going to be like Lazarus. You're going to be able to show people that nothing is impossible simply by saying, I'm possible. You see, if you put a little separation in the word impossible, it becomes, I'm possible. You're going to be like Lazarus. You're going to be able to step into depression, into fear, into anxiety, into brokenness, into hopelessness. And you're going to be able to look into the people's eyes and say, it's not over yet because I made it. It's not over yet because I'm sober. It's not over yet because I'm still married. It's not over yet because I'm free. It's not over yet because I'm over. I overcame. It's not over yet because I'm victorious. 
You're going to be able to be like Lazarus. You're going to be able to look into the tear-stained eyes of someone else and tell them it's not impossible because I'm possible. It's not impossible because my marriage is possible. It's not impossible because my family is possible. It's not impossible because my ministry is possible. It's not impossible because my sanity is possible. It's not impossible because my joy is possible. It's not impossible because my peace is possible. It's not impossible because my business is possible. It's not impossible because I'm possible. You know what we need in the church today? We don't need another preacher. We don't need another elder, another deacon, another worship leader, another singer. What we need is some Lazaruses, some people that can step in and share their story and uplift and revive and encourage. We need some people that can show up and say, statistically, I should be dead. The odds said I shouldn't have made it. The doctors gave up hope. They planned my funeral. My funeral. Everybody wrote me off. Everybody threw the dirt in on my grave. But guess what? I'm possible. I'm possible. I'm possible. You know, I've been telling you that a move of God is coming. And some of you didn't believe me. Guess what? I don't blame you. Because I didn't really believe me sometimes either. The reason you didn't believe is because there's nothing going on in your life that would seem to indicate that a breakthrough is about to happen. There's nothing happening in your life that would seem to indicate things are getting better. There's nothing happening in your life that would seem to indicate that you're on the brink of the greatest outpouring that our generation has ever seen. But you know what? There was nothing in Lazarus' life that indicated Jesus was about to show up. Let me recap the series of events that led to a mighty move of God in Lazarus' life. Things went from bad to worse to over. Bad to worse to over. So I came to encourage somebody. You've been through some stuff. Things have went from bad to worse to over and the enemy is telling you to walk away, to give up, to accept it for what it is, to plan for the worst, to brace yourself. And Jesus is saying, hold up, leave the door open because I'm about to show up. You know, this was a setup. I, I got to hurry, but this was a setup. It was a setup. You know the Jews believed that you could raise somebody from the dead as long as you did it in 72 hours, in three days. And if Jesus had not waited until the fourth day, they wouldn't have really believed that all things are possible because they thought it could happen in 72 hours. So what Jesus had to do is take them to a place of hopelessness so that they would see with him there is always hope. He had to push them past that border where they thought it could never be restored. It could never be what it was. It can never change. He had to take them to that place to show them that when I'm in the equation, there is no border. There is no point of no return. All things are possible. So... What I want to do before the altar call is I want to just pray with you that you would have the courage to roll back the stone.
Can I do that? Because this is, this, is, this is the match that ignites the flame of revival. Jesus can raise a corpse that has been dead for four days, but he expects you to roll back the stone. You got to give him access to what you think is over. So would you stand to your feet? Just close your eyes. If you feel comfortable, lift your hands to heaven. But you ain't got to lift your hands up to receive. He can bring it with your hands unlifted. Lord, there's some people in here that feel hopeless. There's some people in here that feel like it's over. There's some people in here that are about to throw the dirt on the grave. There's some people in here that are about to put it out of their mind and move on. They've been praying and they haven't seen you move. They've been praying and they haven't seen things improve. But Lord, I know that this is a setup and you want to show them and everyone around them that all things are possible. So you let it come to this point and now you've stepped into the cemetery of their circumstance and I'm praying, Lord, that you would give them the courage to roll back that stone. Give them the courage to believe again. Give them the courage to wait a little longer. Give them the courage to give you another opportunity to change their situation. Give them the courage, Lord, to be filled with hope and optimism. Even though their situation, their circumstance, their condition, their struggle is discouraging. Lord, as they, by faith today, roll back this stone, I pray that you would speak into the darkness of their situation and resurrect their hope, resurrect their joy, resurrect their optimism, resurrect the possibility, resurrect, Lord, what has died in their life. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Give the Lord some praise. Thank you for listening to the Redemption Podcast. We hope you have enjoyed today's message. For more great messages, please subscribe on iTunes or Google Play Music and leave us a rating and review while you're there. For more information, please visit our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash redemptionky.